Good morning. Uh, my name is Zach Anderson, if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Covenant. Uh, welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning on this Father's Day. Uh, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Our scripture this morning is coming to us from the Gospel of Luke. We're going to read in chapter 15, actually picking up where Peyton left off last week in the story uh, that we refer to as the prodigal son. So if you're following along in your own Bible, we're going to pick up in verse 25 of Luke chapter 15. Let's receive this word from the Lord. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you're here in this space. We do love you, and we're so thankful that you love us first, and I ask this morning, God, that you would teach us about your unconditional love and what that really means. Soften our hearts, Lord, lay aside our biases and our preconceived notions of what is right and what is wrong, and speak to us your truth. Please bind my lips and my tongue. Let no word pass them that is not your truth. We worship you, Jesus. It's in your name we're gathered and have prayed. Amen. So it is Father's Day, uh, and today is a very special day for me. Um, And I'll show you why. This is my child. It looks like a little bean, but this is my child. Uh, The picture, if you can't read it, it says, love at first sight. And that's truly been my experience. Uh, This is my first Father's Day. We're expecting in August on the 21st. And just to head off the questions, if I haven't already talked with you about this, we're going to be surprised by the gender, so we don't know if it's a boy or a girl. Uh, So I just call it like the kid, or sometimes we call it newbie, like new baby in the family. Um, And I love this child so much. It's crazy. Like my heart 
has expanded in a way that I didn't know was possible. The crazy thing is, my wife went out of town this week to visit her family, and I missed her dearly, but I would find myself daydreaming about feeling the kicks of that little baby. I missed that baby, and I've never even met this baby face to face, yet I love it so much. And now, you may be laughing to yourself and thinking, oh, isn't Pastor Zach so sweet? You have no idea what's coming for you. (laughs) You just wait until you haven't slept in a week and your kid has a second blowout of the day on your favorite shirt. Like, I know there's some things coming that I'm not prepared for and that aren't going to be all, you know, sunshine and daisies. But let me tell you something that you cannot take from me. I love this kid more than life itself. I love this kid more than life itself. And I know I'm not a perfect father, and I know that that you don't have perfect fathers. In fact, all earthly fathers are very, very imperfect. Uh, And I know that a lot of us have earthly fathers who have hurt us, abandoned us, insulted us, abused us, rejected us, made us feel worthless at various times and to various degrees. Some of us, even our earthly fathers, have passed on in death. And so if that's you in any way, which I think it might capture everyone in the room, let me just say that I am so sorry for the ways that you've been wronged by your earthly father and the pain that that's caused. But my prayer for you this morning is that God, your heavenly Father, will redeem your broken experience of what fatherhood is and and what a father figure is. Because we have a perfect father, and this father loves us with an unconditional love. Uh, Here's something about God. Uh, It's found in the book of Hosea, which is actually a book about parental abandonment and infidelity and how God fills that gap. And Hosea chapter 1 verse 10 says, in a place where it was said to them, the Israelites, you are not my people, you don't belong here, you have no position here, you are not worth it, they will be called children of the living God. Where you don't have a place, I will be your place. You will be children of the living God. Psalm 68, verse 5. It's written about God that he is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. And so when you have been hurt and abandoned or left, rejected by your earthly father, God will be a good father to you. And so I just I pray that no matter how much hurt you've received, you won't throw away this message because uh, because your heavenly Father, He knows your pain and He's got a perfect love for you. And so with it being Father's Day today, if you were here last week, you're probably like, well, 
you guys blew it because you preached the most powerful sermon on fatherhood like the week before Father's Day. Smooth move. Uh, but just you wait, okay? Just you wait. This passage is going to blow your mind. <laughs> so Peyton, last week, the youth director, he brought us the word and he told us the story of what we refer to as the prodigal son. And it's the story, we all know the story from, from Sunday school or from last week where uh, the son, he asks for his inheritance, he demands his inheritance from his father, and he leaves home, and he goes and he squanders all the money that he had on prostitutes and gambling and just drunkenness and terrible living, and his evil deeds got in the way of him and his father. And Peyton told us so beautifully about the premeditated loving forgiveness of the father for the son when the son came back. The son comes home and the father barely even listens to his confession, doesn't even respond to it and says, no, no, quick, get the best robe in the house, put it on him, put shoes on his feet, ring on his finger, kill the fattened calf. We're having a party because my son who was lost has come home. And often I think that we think the younger son came home to begin living like the older son. You know what I mean? Like the younger son was off doing all these wicked things and he came home so that he could start being good again like, like his older brother who stayed home, who worked hard, who did what was right. But that's not quite what this story is about. And if you'll remember, the scene is set by uh, two groups of people gathered listening to Jesus talk. And so there's, I, I'm imagining that there's two separate groups. I don't, I don't picture them being integrated because of who they were. There's one group of people that's a bunch of rebellious, wicked sinners. And they're, they're sitting there desperate to hear this message of forgiveness and grace from Jesus. And the other group is the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were people who spent their whole lives studying the law, trying to shape themselves to look like what was described in the law. And so Jesus, being a good storyteller, he draws in his audience, and he draws in this group of rebellious sinners and says, there's grace for you. Just come home. And then I imagine, I don't know if this is how it went down, but this is how I picture it. I imagine Jesus turned to the Pharisees and said, Meanwhile, and he continues and says, Meanwhile, the older son is out in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Do y'all hear what's weird about that? The older son, he's working out in the field. He comes home to his house and he hears music and dancing and he doesn't just go inside. He asks a servant to come out and tell him what's going on. Why? What's going on there? Why doesn't he just go inside? The text continues in verse 27. The servant responds and says, Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him to come inside. The older brother sees the grace that the younger brother 
receives and he becomes angry. When I was about 12 or 13 years old, I was at summer camp, at Frontier Camp, and uh, we were playing a game of dodgeball. And for those of you who know me, know, you know I'm a fierce competitor, uh, and I like to involve myself with athletics and rec sports, and I approach everything with an all-or-nothing kind of approach. And so I'm approaching this game of dodgeball very, very seriously. And I'm sorry to say that I got hit by a dodgeball, and I'm out of the game. And so I walk off to the side, and I'm standing there watching the game, but I'm still super invested. Okay, I'm cheering on my team, and I am watching the other team like a hawk to make sure anyone who gets hit with a dodgeball comes out of the game. And there was this kid, Mason. And if your name's Mason, I'm sorry, I'm sure not all Masons are like this guy. Mason got hit with a dodgeball, and he did one of these numbers. And he noticed that no one saw it, and so he continues in the game, and he keeps throwing dodgeballs and running around and trying to win. And I was infuriated, and I was like, hey, hey, no, you got hit. You're out. You're out. Hey, ref, didn't you see Mason got hit with a dodgeball? Get him out of there. And I couldn't get anyone's attention, and he stayed in the game, and to my horror wins the game. It was ridiculous. I've, I don't know if I've ever been so mad in my life, to be honest. Like, I was so angry. But here's the thing. If you think that we're any different from Mason getting to stay in the game after he was rightfully out and win then you are in for a perspective change. You see what I mean? Like, if you think that we are any different from rightfully belonging outside of the game, dead to the game, yet getting to stay in and come out victorious, you're in for a perspective change. Because that's exactly what has happened to those who have received the gospel. Okay, right? Our sin, Romans 3.23, uh, Romans 6.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, the wages of sin, the payment deserved for sin is death. To be dead to the game. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have received grace to get to not only stay in the game, but win. Several years later, uh, new story, I'm about 21 years old, and I was leading a Bible study for a young adults group. And uh, there was a guy in my Bible study uh, who would come and as a group we would go out and we would do homeless ministry and then we'd come in and we would study the Bible together and have discussion. And this guy, I won't share his name um, just because I already you know, told the other guy's name, so I guess I should, I'll keep this one anonymous. And um, I don't know him anymore, but you know, this is going to go on the internet later at the 1030 service, so who knows what will happen. But uh, this guy... He would come, and he was a very willing participant in discussion. 
And I didn't actually love that. And here's why. I felt like every time he opened his mouth, he said something that was just like not in line with the text we were talking about. Not, not, not like changing the subject, but like his interpretation was like heresy in my opinion. Um, and so I felt like every time he spoke up, I would have to come behind him with a broom and dustpan and clean up the mess he just made of my Bible study and all these people that are going to go home believing something totally false. And so week after week, this would happen, and I began to grow very frustrated with this young man. Uh, I say young man, I mean, we're pretty much the same age. Uh, he might be older than me, to be honest, but um, I became very frustrated with him. And he was a very uh, sweet guy, very kind-hearted, um, but I just couldn't sit with what he was doing to our discussions and what he was doing to the Bible. And so one day, uh, I had had about enough, and we're in Bible study discussion, and he opens his mouth, and I'm like, oh boy, what am I going to have to clean up now? And he says something, I don't even think it was that egregious, I don't remember at all what it was, but I had had enough, and I gathered up all of my biblical wisdom and knowledge, and I smacked him across the face with it. Hypothetically, of course, but you picture what I did. I smacked him across the face with all my biblical wisdom and knowledge. And uh, the pastor of the young adults ministry happened to visit my small group that day. And the next day, we were at work and playing ping pong on lunch break. And he was like, hey man, do you have a problem with so-and-so, and I was like, well, you know, actually, yeah, I kind of do. I'm not sure why you're asking, but I feel like he just ruins our discussion. He's like, well, I'm asking because yesterday when I came to your small group, you weren't very loving towards him, and I sensed anger in your heart towards this guy, and... In that moment, it's like my eyes were opened. And the Holy Spirit came into my heart and showed me what I had been doing and how I'd been treating this guy, not with love. It wasn't loving to smack him across the face with biblical wisdom. And I'm here to tell you, I am a recovering elder brother from the story of the prodigal son. Now, here's how you might know if you're an elder brother. Uh, maybe in a very serious sense, if someone who is a sinner receives grace and you find that you don't really enjoy having them a part of your community, <laughs> it's okay, it'll stop in a second. It'll turn off. It'll turn off. Um, if you see a sinner receive grace and you find, I don't really want to be around this person or I'm not totally happy that they're a part of our church, you might be an elder brother. Um, and you're like, well, no, but I totally love it when sinners get grace. Like, that's the point of the Bible, right? 
And I'm saying to you, yeah, but what about the weird ones? I'm serious. Like, what about the weird people who get God's grace and then they come into your family and they're now your brother or your sister? Or what about the ones whose sin was against you, right? It's not like somewhere in the past they hurt someone else and now they're coming into your church and they're going to be perfect elder brothers who have received grace. Their sin was against you. Are you happy for them to receive grace? If not, you might be an elder brother. But what about, uh, what about this? If you walked into the sanctuary this morning and your, one of your first thoughts was, and I wonder what all these people are thinking about, you know, how I look today. You might be an elder brother. Or if in worship you found yourself getting distracted thinking, man, look how that other person is looking very spiritual and holy in their worship. They look, you know, really authentic. They're, they're raising their hands, they're closing their eyes. What am I doing? You might be an elder brother. So we have to ask the question, why is that going on inside of us? Well, let's look at the text. Verse 29 and 30, we get a little window into the heart of the older brother. And his, the, his father is pleading with him to come inside and celebrate the return of his younger brother. And, but he answered his father and said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he can't even name him as his brother, this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes. When he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And we get a look into his heart, and we, what we see is this input-output math equation that he sees the world through. Younger brother inputs evil deeds. He should get out of it judgment. I input older brother input Good deeds. I've served you my whole life. I've never disobeyed a single one of your orders. I should get out the fattened calf. That should be my fattened calf. And so he's so frustrated when the math doesn't add up. And the younger brother who did all these evil deeds comes home and he gets the fattened calf. And he's like, well, this doesn't make any sense. If I still haven't gotten to you yet, how about this? How many of you, when thinking about your testimony of how you receive salvation, have ever thought or said to someone, yeah, you know, my testimony is not that great. Um, I didn't really have this, like, rebellious rock-bottom streak, and then I was saved. Uh, it's just kind of a boring story. If you've ever had that thought, yeah, that, that was me. I've told that to countless people. If you've ever said or thought that, you might be an older brother. Why? Because you're worried that maybe your story isn't like a good enough story to measure up to someone else's story. And so what do you do? You work harder and 
uh, harder to do enough good deeds to earn the love that you already have. It's this input-output sort of relationship. Now stay with me. This is the most absolutely crazy part about this story. And I'm just going to draw all this into a conclusion. Just like the evil deeds of the younger brother separated him from his father. It was the good deeds of the elder brother that separated him from his father. The good deeds of the elder brother separated him from his father. Now you're like, Zach, you are just talking crazy now. Let me explain why. The older brother is so hung up on this input-output. You see that he thinks his good deeds are what should earn him his position with his father. And it's so much so that he's actually not even wanting to be with his father. If you look back, he says, you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with who? With my friends. Like he didn't even want to be with the father. The way, what he sees the father as is just a way to receive an inheritance. And his deeds were an idol and he worshipped his performance because he thought it was the way that he could receive grace. Now, spiritual siblings, listen to me. I know the culture of Creekside. I know the culture of the woodlands. In fact, I know the culture of the United States of America. And I'm sure that over 90% of you are elder brothers even if you don't realize it. And you have been working your whole life to perform and earn God's love. And maybe you say, well, no, like I received grace and I know that that grace was just a gift from God. But you know what you've been doing since then? You've been working so hard to make sure you don't lose it. You've been working to keep something you never could have earned in the first place. Now Jesus, he's a very good storyteller, but this story actually has a huge cliffhanger. A huge cliffhanger. The father's like, Son, won't you come inside and celebrate with us? Please come inside. Be with me. Come in. Celebrate. The food is great in here. And roll credits. Like the story's over. It would be like uh, if in Star Wars, you're watching Star Wars, and Darth Vader's like, Luke, join me, and together we will rule the galaxy. Roll credits. It's like, wait, no, what? What happens? Does he say yes? Does he go with his dad? Now I know, you know, Darth Vader is like the devil more than God, but does he go with his dad or not? And this story is meant to do that very thing. Is the older brother going to come inside and be with his dad or not? And Jesus did this on purpose, and here's why. It's because this story is an invitation. It's a personal invitation. 
And this story is designed to make every listener answer the question for themselves. Am I going to come inside or not? Now let me tell you exactly what you need to do to do this well. You ready? To like rewrite your story after years and years of performance. Okay, this is what you need to do. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I know that inside you're like, wait, no, that can't be it. I don't believe that. I'm telling you, absolutely nothing. There is no input and output with God's love. And so when you find yourself thinking about everything that you have to do, here's an actual like practical step coming from a recovering elder brother. When you think about everything that you have to do and you're like, but what if I can't do it or what if I can't do it well enough What if I don't do a good enough job at work or in my school? Or what if my house isn't clean enough when guests come over? This is what you do. Just stop for a minute. Just stop and remind yourself that every requirement that you place upon yourself has already been fulfilled by Jesus at the cross. And just reflect on that until you believe it. And every time you screw up again, same sin, new day, same sin, over and over again, and you feel the urge to get yourself right, stop. Just stop for a minute and remind yourself that every requirement you place upon yourself to be enough has been fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. Everything that you chase to, re- to succeed, to win, even like the day-to-day stuff that you feel like Jesus has no part in, he fulfilled it at the cross. It's Father's Day, and God, when Jesus refers to the Father in heaven, it's always as my Father, our Father. It's as a Father. And we're meant to model Jesus and think of God as our Father. And this Father, remember that love for my child that I was telling you about at the beginning? Like, You were laughing at me because of how sappy it was. Your heavenly father is so sappy over you. He's so sappy. He loves you so much. Zephaniah 3.17 says that our father in heaven will rejoice over us with loud singing. Like you walk into the room and he just bursts into into song, my son. 
It's sappy. But you can rest. Like you don't have to do enough to be worthy of that. You don't have to be enough to be worthy of that. Jesus already was enough, is enough, and evermore will be enough. Glory to God. That's freedom. And I know this is a long journey. I'm speaking from personal experience. But as you go on your journey, I think the first step is just awareness. Awareness. I have a performance orientation. And then as you continually take this to God, day after day, you'll begin to realize when it's creeping up on you. And you're like, hold on. That's my performance. And that's when you need to pause and just remember this requirement that I'm placing on myself to do enough or to be enough. Jesus has already fulfilled on the cross. And your Father in heaven loves you so much, just as you are. Let's pray. Father, please help us. It's hard to uh, it's hard to lay down what we've been working for our whole lives. And I want you to just take a moment in your own heart and ask God, God, are my good deeds an idol for me? And if you think the answer is yes, if you think your good deeds are separating you from God, just take a moment and say, God, I surrender to you. I surrender to your love. Jesus, I know that you are enough. Father, I know that you love me just as I am. And now with the confidence that comes of being God's children, love unconditionally, let us join together in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory.